and welcome to the bloke and the bird show this week we saw the cars on the track we had tests we had all kinds of stuff going this week it was almost like f1 had started back up again well technically kind of has it has you know i have to say Okay. We were predicting a very quiet off-season with little news about yeah. F1. We were planning on pulling things out of the test lab. And here we are. We hit nothing. The first early days of March. And we're already back to testing. We got another week of testing ahead of us. Then we go down for like, what, two weeks? And we're in, back in Melbourne. The season is fast approaching, and I, for one, could not be more excited. Well, actually, I'm I'm going to describe this week in testing in a few paragraphs here. Four paragraphs. Thanks to our friends over at, at uh, Sniff Petrol. Okay. They put up an article, and they actually they did this on Tuesday. So, so day two of testing, they, they published this article with the headline, Men Drive Formula One Cars Around Track. Okay. So as reported by Sniff Petrol, reports from Barcelona yesterday suggested a man has driven a Formula One car around for a bit, while another man also drove a Formula One car around, at a slightly lower speed, but for a greater distance. Another man was hoping to drive a Formula One car around for some time, but that time was less than he had hoped due to some kind of problem with the engine. I was hoping to drive around for quite a while, he is quoted as saying. However, I was not able to, but I am okay with this. Meanwhile, one man drove a Formula One car around and was able to make it appear to be faster than would have been expected whilst driving another Formula One car around at a speed that appeared to be slower than would have been expected. Sources say different men will drive the same Formula One cars around today, given an even greater sense of very little at all. I'm so confused. <laughs> so, yes. As we have said repeatedly, you cannot learn a whole lot about testing because you don't know what they're actually testing. However, yeah. we have seen great things, promising things, actual things. Well, one of the things that we know going into this season, Sky Sports did their kickoff event for the 2017 Formula One season for their coverage and everything that was going to be happening. Uh, and as such, one of the things that they did was they named their broadcast and commentary team for the season. And our big mystery was what was going to happen to Pat Simmons after he left Williams. Remember, yeah. he was going to go on vacation. He was going to do a walkabout, you know, see the family, maybe go to that doctor's appointment he's been putting off for the last 15 years. All that stuff that you can't do when you're the chief technical officer of a Formula One team. He is actually going to be uh, – part of sky sports commentary team well and this is just a natural logical next step for pat simmons since he could not help himself from talking into a microphone anytime one was put in front of him yeah and, and would comment on anything at all not just the williams I mean, stuff he's so. been part of the sky's technical commentary team for the last 15 years he's so. been part of just about everybody's team but nbc sports's team well that's because nbc sports doesn't have a team yeah well okay Ouch. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, he has talked into a microphone. If it one is shoved in front of him, what do you think about this team's technical specs? And said whatever came From to mind. From the pit wall mid-race, let's talk about Mercedes. Exactly. <laughs> what team he actually worked for never stopped him or slowed him down from having a commentary about somebody else's team. So congratulations, Pat, for actually getting paid for what you've been doing for all these years. <laughs> no, actually, I'm really excited about it because he has good insight. And I think that it will be a, a logical next step for him. We now have a goal. A goal? We have whoa, a goal. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, hold on a minute. We do not plan or have goals. That is a hallmark of the bloke of the bird show. Well, let's call this a stretch goal. <laughs> Sincerely, we don't set goals. This could be a we stretch. We have a goal that sometime between now and the end of the latest extension to the Canadian Grand Prix deal, which expires in 2029, we have to go to a Canadian Grand Prix. So we have 12 years to go to a Canadian Grand Prix? Yes. That could be a stretch goal. We have a goal now. Let's go with the stretch goal. <laughs> Let's put it on the super long stretch goal. We'll make it. We will make it. We will make it to an F1 race before 12 years goes by. 
But uh, word did get out this week that the circuit Gilles Villeneuve has extended its deal to host the Canadian Grand Prix until 2029. Um, so basically, the existing 10-year deal, which was signed back in 2014, was extended for another five years. Now, as part of this new deal, uh, it was confirmed that the circuit will finally complete the upgrade program that Bernie really, really wanted and was threatening to take the race away if he didn't get. It'll be done by the end of or, or by the 2019 race. Oh, okay. So on our stretch goal, we probably don't want to arrive before 2019. Well, it depends on whether or not we're going to have access to the paddock because that's what that's what Bernie was demanding was paddock and behind the scenes stuff. You never know. If you win the lottery, we might have access to the paddock. Also extended, and and this in a way kind of surprises me because I didn't think the race was doing all that good. We'd heard that the race wasn't doing all that good. But the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi, that deal has been extended to 2025. Nice. And that would be according to the TASS news, news agency. Okay. And, you know, if it came from TASS, it must be true. Yes. I don't know. Something like that. On the disappoint, the truly disappointing side, any hope that you possibly had that you were going to see Manor race or that the team was going to get resurrected, um, it's pretty much done now. Okay, so for the past several weeks, we have talked extensively about the death of Manor. Mm-hmm. So they're they're finally dead now. They've they put the nails in the coffin and have dug the six foot grave. Yeah, what happened was uh, the company that held the entry, um, because what had gone under and what was trying to be sold was just racing services, mm -hmm. which was the operating team. But the parent company was still going on and still existed and all. They still held the entry into the series. So they could have sold the entry if they needed, if they were thinking about it. So that could have been up for sale also. Right. Um, however, that entry has now been withdrawn as well. Right. And with that, that closes the book on the team. Because okay. the only way for a team to come in now, since there's no entry available, is that they've got to go through the entire new team screening and vetting process. So they have to do what Gene Haas did. Right. So that's the end of that. One of, I guess, I don't know if I'd call it a knock-on. Well, yeah, I guess it was kind of a knock-on event of Manners failing and Monisha Keltenborn's letters and everything else that we discussed last week with the push for the European Communion, the European Commission, there we go, <laughs> and various governing bodies within Europe, there was that push to get an investigation of Formula One for anti-competitive processes and practices. Uh, the EC has said, uh, yeah, we're not doing that. I think they've said that before, too. So, um, yeah. Well, they, they've definitely rejected the most recent call to do so. Um, that was announced this week that the Southeast Labor Ministry, Minister of European Parliament Annalise Dodds, her call that we talked about last week, um, she was told, yeah, no, we're not doing it. Yeah, so not doing that. Don't get your hopes up. You know, we've all been on the edge of our seats as to what Liberty was going to do with the experience. We've heard that they want to make this the each race like a Super Bowl and all its hype and all of these other things. Well, we heard now from... The sport's new marketing chief, Sean Bratches, that he wants to, quote, detonate the fan experience. That could hurt. Depends on where they're detonating it. I mean, if they, like, you know, do a random raffle where they blow up seats while fans are in it, it's not going to be pretty. Well, he didn't say he wanted to detonate fans. <laughs> he wanted to detonate the experience. Okay. So what? What, uh, how do you detonate an experience? Tell me. What is he? This is really all we know from him. And, and he was talking to Autosport. He said the basis of this, if you peel everything back, is that every single thing that we're doing is to pivot around the fan. The fan is at the center of all of these in terms of driving the sport because if we're doing the best job we can serving fans, both the existing fans and the new fans, that's a win. 
That engagement can come from having a sponsor engage them, the rights holder engage them, the teams engage them, or the drivers engage them. And that's central to how we're looking at the business. We have big events 20 times every single year in 20 different countries, and there's an extraordinary opportunity to detonate the fan experience in a very positive way. He then went to decline to give specifics of how the Formula One group would fulfill its aims, but did suggest that closer collaboration with drivers and making it easier for them to promote F1 through their own social media channels was an obvious opportunity. Now, to build on that, what was announced going into testing this week is that all the restrictions that FOM had put on the teams in terms of filming and making posts and all the various stuff on the uh, the pit lane, especially during testing, at least for this past week, was lifted. And teams got, for the first time ever, the ability to post and broadcast and publish video that they were shooting during testing. And as a result, if you follow the teams on Twitter, good luck trying to keep up with them. <laughs> the, the flood grates opened? Oh, it was insane. Well, I do know that at one point, uh, one of the Red Bulls, and I'm going to jump slightly ahead into what mm-hmm. happened during uh, testing, but in the early days of the um, testing week, one of the Red Bulls broke down um, and got pushed back into the pit lanes, and they erected walls around it so they could do some work because everybody was trying to sneak pictures. Yeah. Um, there was also the same type of thing happened with Ferrari. Apparently, it appears, no one knows for sure, that all ran out of gas. Mm. He was pushed over the line and into the pit lanes, and then the mechanics and engineers formed a wall around yes. his car so that they could tweak or fill um, the, the gas tank. But everyone speculated that it appeared that Vettel had a intentional out-of-gas run. We're not sure that that is a planned event normally, but apparently Ferrari is looking to test all possibilities. Somebody in the Ferrari garage going, hey, watch this. <laughs> hold my beer. <laughs> Probably in their case, it would be hold my glass of Chianti. So what we know right now is that this easing of the restrictions only applied to this past week. Mm-hmm. There, there's an expectation that we may see more uh, easing of the restrictions come down and the teams be allowed to post a bit more. Uh, but there was some interesting video and some commentary. And it wasn't just the teams, by the way, who were allowed to to post pictures and video from uh, testing, but also former drivers, you know, like Nico Rosberg, who was making the rounds there. Um, There was an interesting exchange that went on. It ultimately ended up between uh, Mercedes and Renault, but Nico posted a picture of his paddock pass, Mm -hmm. which was kind of cool. You know, it's not like your normal conference pass. Um, It had the the F1 stuff on the front, the traditional stuff that they needed, and on the back it had uh, the way the, the, the Formula One passes are, especially the paddock passes, is it has a picture of the pass who is issued to, and it's like laser etched in there, so it's not a color picture. but it, and, and it has his name, but it also has, since he's not a current driver, what it just says is F1 World Champion. And he just posted a picture of that, and the, you know, the front and the back. And Mercedes retweeted the picture with the comment that said, um, the paddock pass that everybody wants to have. I don't want to be Nico Wasberg. Well, Renault replied to Mercedes' tweet and said that their paddock pass would say Twitter Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Why do I suddenly have ABBA's Dancing Queen in the back of my head as an earworm? You are welcome, listening public. (laughs) You know, the the other thing, if you take a look at at the the barge boards on the the Renault and, and jumping ahead just a little bit. Oh, were you talking about the animals? Yes. Yes! So, Renault, and I don't even know how it started, but Renault ended up posting a picture that somebody else had shared with them of, basically, it's a side shot of the car, and somebody went and drew on, like, Snapchat style, um, so that the barge board looks like a sitting cat. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and they said something in their retreat of that that they would post anybody else that had turned parts of their cars into animals. Yeah. So if you see animals in their car, you should draw them out in your Snapchat type uh, annotations and uh, tweet them to Rena. So we're getting a, a deeper insight into what goes on at Test, which is kind of cool and, and could be interesting on the weekends. But then again, if you're a fan, again, good luck trying to keep up with everything that they've all of a sudden. I mean, the floodgates opened, and if you think like the pictures you've seen of the Oroville Dam in the last month, <laughs> that's what this was. <laughs> and now imagine being at the bottom of that torrent going, <gasps> and trying to drink it through a straw. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> So you know that at every one of their teams, their social media millennial that like, here, this is this job, but it's not, you know, you don't have the whole lot to do because we're so restricted. Like all of a sudden goes, restrictions lifted. I shall tweet all the things. Yes. Live tweet. I can do that. I can do that. Um, their thumbs, like every one of them has to like soak their fingers. <laughs> you know, like the old baseball players that, you know, sit in the whirlpools with the shoulders and stuff like that they're like putting their hands in there for thumb exercises well you know i'm guessing over at sauber their social media team had a little bit of ac- uh, of assistance because you know pascal verline was there mm-hmm. he wasn't driving oh so he could so, add so some he bumps could, he, he you know it was an extra set of hands that, that could pitch in with that but the expectation is that next week at testing he will be driving and should be well enough to take part hey pascal don't tweet and drive yeah. It's dangerous. So I'm not going to get into the detailed checks, but we know that there has been the potential for issues and, and controversy regarding suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week, as part of the testing, the FIA was doing checks of the cars, and what we have heard, we don't know for sure, and we don't know who it was, but what we have heard is that at least one team was recommended to make changes and is making changes to their suspension design. But it's not Mercedes. We don't know. We oh. don't know. It, it, unnamed team is making changes to their suspension. Oh, I thought we already knew who that team was. No. That's what Sorry. I said. Has Unknown. not been named. Unnamed. Well, there's many checks that are being done right now to make sure things are within rules. Mm-hmm. Um there's there's lots of talk about the fin and the T-wing. But before we get into the fun joys of shark fins and T-wings and things like that, mm-hmm. did you happen to take a really good look at the Red Bull um, front end? Not really. Well, if you got a good close-up picture, which as you can have just said, all the pictures are available on social media. They are now. Um, you will see that in the nose, not where the wing is, but the nose of the the front end, it has a very distinctive single-hold nostril. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is running a nostril. Well, technically, Force India is running two. <laughs> no. Poorly designed. <laughs> but that's their claim, is that the, those are nostrils. Okay. Because their continuation of their, you know, the last two years they've had that. They have a proboscis. <laughs> um, this is an actual nostril. It's an odd-looking nostril, too. So the theory behind it is within the rules, it is totally legal to have a nostril mm-hmm. as long as its primary uh, purpose is to cool the driver. It's air conditioning. So that's the air conditioning? <laughs> yeah, that's the air conditioning system. 65 and open. Yep. Um, four down and 65, right? Um, however, knowing Adrian Newey, there is no chance that this added nostril doesn't have some aerodynamic benefit. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. As long as the primary function is to, it says in the rules, primary function. So what are its mm. secondary and tertiary functions? Hmm? I want to know. Why don't you write to him and ask him? I don't think he'll tell me. He probably won't. <laughs> also, changes that are going to happen. Uh, Renault has been directed, well, they've been advised by the FIA that the su- its support pillar concept for the rear wing 
could breach Formula One rules, and as a result, they are making changes to it. Mm. So what it is, and, and apparently um, I would assume that Ferrari wrote a letter, based on how this is worded, <laughs> is that rivals queried the design of the R.S.17's support pillar almost immediately after its launch in London. Now, the issue revolved around the pillar support, which, rather than being attached to the main plane, joined the wing at the DRS actuator pod. Ah. So, Article 3.9.6 of the technical regulations states that the support must be extended until it meets the area of the regulations that is related to the area of the rear wing main plane as defined in Article 3.9.1. So, yeah. That was totally understandable. Well, okay. So teams have, for aerodynamic purposes, been moving the attachment point of the rear wing pillar further and further forward. With the most popular method under the previous regulations, a simple connection to the underside of the main plane used to add rigidity, which is what Mercedes did. Um, the 2017 Renault idea went a step further and attached directly to the DRS pod. Now, the argument was this was allowed because there is subsequent regulation that allows the support to be attached to minimal parts solely associated with the adjustment of the DRS. Um, but rival teams also said that they doubted it actually bring any benefit. Well, they couldn't have doubted it that much if they wanted to make sure that it didn't get run. Yeah. Interesting. Now, I mean, that area of the car, you know, it's become, it's become a hotbed of controversy it between has. the wings and the fins seem to be mentioned a lot in everything that I see. Well, the, as we alluded to last week, well, not really alluded ugly. to, we, we talked about, they've been pretty controversial. They're ugly. Is that the point of a Formula One car, to make it pretty or to make it fast and stable and win races? Fast and stable obviously is the right answer, but it needs to look dang cool while doing it. Okay. Do you say they look dang cool? I don't You're not think as opposed they, to the I'm not fence. as opposed. I don't think they look quite as bad. I think teams could have executed them better. I do believe that they look better when styled to look part of the car like the side of the uh, Williams car using the stripe down the fin looks better than Ferrari who ran a white no fin actually on a red I car. thought the way the Williams did it is terrible you don't like the the stripes going no down I it? think that the the fin, the way the Williams implemented the fin and the paint on the fin it looks absolutely awful okay but I also go back to you know I look at the Le Mans prototype, the LMP cars, which have had fins for years. And I think they look kind of cool. Now, some of that may also be the fact that because they're closed cockpit racers and those cockpits kind of look like bubble pods, it gives it kind more of a spaceship-like look, which you do not get in a Formula One car. Right. And... LMP cars are not Formula One cars. No, they're not. And they shouldn't be styled similarly. But the aerodynamic reasons for doing it are the same. I understand that. We do not change the laws of aerodynamics just because we went to a different motorsport. I get that part. It doesn't mean I have to like it. Now, what about the T-Wings? Those don't inherently bother me because they kind of disappear into the the back wing. You, well, know, you have to catch the car at the right angle to really see the T-wing. Well, two teams have added the T-wings. Right. So Williams and Haas also ran it. Mercedes also did something different with the T-wing. When they actually ran the car, first off, on day one, we saw the Mercedes with the fin. Mm -hmm. Day two, we saw the Mercedes without the fin, but a double T-wing. Right. And that without the fin, they still have a ridge. They, they're working more on a ridgeback system. Yeah. 
versus a full-on fin, but they definitely have the possibility of going full-on fin. Now, Christian Horner says, and this is according to him, that the teams tried to, they, they actually recognized that uh, this loophole existed, and they went to the F1 commission and said, hey, um, you guys need to be aware that you have written the rules that allow these shark fins to come back. We took these shark fins away because everybody said that they were ugly the first time around. Um, so what you've done is you've allowed them to come back, and we're recommending that you remove that loophole. And according to Christian Horner, he says that request was rejected by the commission. Well, I think it's pretty interesting to see a Mercedes seeing what they can accomplish without the fin. You know, maybe in hopes that if that rule does get eliminated, because everybody hated them the first time, that they have now come up with something that would circumvent the need for a fin. Well, what Christian says is that the devices provide a performance gain, but ensuring that the cars look good remains an important factor that must be taken into consideration. And this is to your point. What he says is that if you ask our aerodynamicists, they would like to retain it. The cars look more aggressive, they look more challenging, and it's wrong to ignore the aesthetics of the car. Unfortunately, this is a consequence of the rules, but one that should have been addressed quite quickly or, or one that should have been able to be addressed quite quickly mm. so i still think that mercedes is probably thinking the most forward thinking to try to come up with something that would give them the effect that does not have quite the same aesthetic because if they can be the prototype of it then they're not on the back foot when the regulation changes and i think that's one of the questions is how effective is the T, especially this double T that they have put in place? How effective is it, and is that something that they're going to look to ban? Because people were complaining about the T-wings too. Basically anything that changes, people complain about. True. Now, leading into last week's show, we had information and we had pictures, to some extent, for every single team's car, with the exception of Toro Rosso. I know. Well, it turns out we now know why we didn't have pictures and information on Toro Rosso's car when we recorded. It did come out a couple hours after we finished recording. Well, now, in previous years, we would have fully expected that the reason we didn't see Toro Rosso's car is because it was a near-carbon copy of the Red Bull car. It was not this year. No. I mean, severe alterations to the car but actually before we get to that let's also explain why we didn't get the information prior to recording okay it turns out that toro rosso had the honor of being the first team with a mechanical failure <laughs> and as a result that delayed the launch got it um the, it was an ers the word is that it was an ers problem on the engine on the renault engine that they switched back to this year that was apparently severe enough that Renault wanted the engine shipped back to them immediately for examination. Oh, wow. Now, we haven't heard of any other mechanical issues with the Toro Rosso. And even in general, mechanically, for the most part, the Renaults have been doing well. I think there was one issue with, uh, with Jolien Palmer when he was driving. Well, Ricardo um, had some issues um, early on day one of testing. He didn't get very many laps in, um, and Christian Horner seemed to come out and say that um, these were not major issues, but Ricardo obviously um, drew the unlucky number. Now, keep in mind that Red Bull is running the unlucky 13 car this year. Yeah. And so I think that we're going to hear a lot of things about luck this year. Oh, this one's unlucky, this one's lucky, whatever. Mm -hmm. But we saw Toro the Rosso, Rosso livery. Yes, they went for the first time in who knows how long, a dramatically different, and it's a dramatically different direction for the team, but not for the brand. No. That's what I think is the most important thing about it. At the end of the day, they're still a Red Bull team and a Red Bull marketing avenue, and when you look at the car, 
even though it does not look anything like the Red Bull car, or for that matter, any other Red Bull motorsports or sporting vehicle of in any form, you still look at it and you go, that is clearly a Red Bull vehicle. Well, okay, so Red Bull Motorsports color scheme is navy red and white. Mm-hmm. Um, in some variation of some iteration of that. And that's what we've always seen um, on the Toro Rosso's. You know, there was the year where one of them had yellow bulls and the other one had red bulls yeah. on their cars or, you know, things like that. But other than that, they've been some version of the navy red, white with some gold yellow on it. This year, Toro Rosso has embraced the can color scheme of the Red Bull can. I think that's the best way to describe it, is is that this looks more like a can of Red Bull. It is bright blue with silver accents with a little bit of red. I mean, not the navy. Definitely not. There's no navy that I saw in that car at all. No. But it looks like, you remember when uh, Red Bull was running those minis that were cut down and had this giant Red Bull can stuck on the top of them? Was. Are they still running oh, those yeah. with the mini girls? Still with are. The Red Bull girls? Um, it looks like that. It's got that color scheme. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a, de- a welcome departure. And for a couple that you know, and I both believe that we like distinctive cars on the track. We don't want to sit there and have to try to figure out Oh, what's this one? And you know, you had two cars that were essentially the same in so very yeah. many ways. Did, did it have the gold tip on the nose or the blue nose? It was, right. Yeah. I mean, it was it was too similar to have that, and you combine that with other great departures in color schemes this year. As far as an aesthetic look, other of, of color, mm-hmm. um, I think this is shaping up to be a beautiful year for Formula One, minus the shark fin. <laughs> well, Toro Rosso is now focused on mileage at the first test after their shakedown glitch. They they are really trying to focus on building reliability and working with Renault to get that whole thing sorted out. Um, so that has been their focus. And coming out of testing, they actually believe that they are probably towards the top of the midfield pack. Nice. Or at least that's what they're shooting for, is to be towards the top of that midfield pack. I think that's a decent goal for them Mm -hmm. so let's move on to mclaren honda yes they introduced this year a completely brand new feature to the car this year a new feature orange no catastrophic engine failures that's not new (laughs) okay yeah true it's not (laughs) No, we had hoped that this new concept and new engine would be much more reliable, would work better, would would see a sizable and significant performance gain in the engine. And instead, shock of shocks, they ended up with an engine issue or an oil pan failure on day one and a mechanical failure on day two that at this point, here we are, what? Five days later, Honda still doesn't know what the root cause of that mechanical failure is. And now they are talking um, that they may have to go and run the engine at a reduced power output. Not just a reduced power output, but a lower power output than what they were getting in 2016 in order to preserve the reliability of the engine. So... In classic McLaren style, Eric Boulier got a microphone. And this is the direct quote from Eric Boulier mm-hmm. about the situation. Fernando Alonso is not happy. Well, I, I'm guessing that while he may not be saying this, I suspect that from wherever he is training for the Jensen Button Triathlon this quote from 2015 is rolling through Jensen's mind. If we can get to the finish, I think it'll be a massive uh, achievement for us. Because that's what it's looking like. When they're turning around and saying, I mean, we're hearing that um, they shipped this engine. They're, they're like, oh, there's no problem with, with the oil pan. We can that That's an easy fix. We can deal with that. But this mechanical issue, they shipped the engine back to Japan 
right after it happened, yanked it out. And we're five days later, and they keep going, we don't know why this happened. We can't figure out why. And if this is a dramatic enough issue, the Melbourne spec engine is what they're running next week. And they're already saying that if they can't figure out what the problem is, they're going to run it at, a, at lower power. Which is what hampered them for the last two years. Mm-hmm. The, Somebody needs to break out a new slide rule over there. Word is that the relationship between McLaren and Honda is quote-unquote tense behind the scenes. Now, Honda says that these engine troubles in the test were a complete surprise for them. So, on a scale of Christian Horner and Renault in 2015 and... Anything that came out of Ron Dennis's mouth. Where do we fall with McLaren Honda's relationship today? I don't think we're there yet. I think give it four races in. Okay. And if things don't turn around, I mean, you know, Eric Bouillet said after the issue that popped up on Monday that the situation was baffling because Fernando had run. 100 kilometers on the engine a day because they had their filming day on, on the Sunday before the test. He ran 100 kilometers on that engine with no issues. So they didn't understand it. So maybe they, it's a 101 kilometer limit. Yeah. Stoffel Van Dorn came out and said that, you know, this whole week we haven't run a full test because these issues have severely compromised everything. So they but, could literally be going into the season without having run a test. Well, McLaren admits that th their first test performance was nowhere near target, and apparently McLaren is already prepping to, quote-unquote, sacrifice some Friday running during season for testing purposes. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about catastrophic failures at Toro Rosso. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about catastrophic failures at McLaren. Again. Um, do we have any good news? Well, we hear this not from Ferrari, but we hear it from Haas. Um, over, and, and it actually, it was coming from, I believe it was, no, it was Gunther Steiner. I was thinking it was Gene Haas. Coming from, from Gunther Steiner, he says that Ferrari has stepped up a lot with its 2017 engine, um, which the team feels has had amazing reliability in the opening test. Um, according to Gunther Steiner, the engine and gearbox they had was almost a flawless test with the same engine. They never changed the engine all week. Wow. Um, he said they twice had an electronics problem, but it was a software problem, nothing big mechanical. Uh, he says that they've done a fantastic job, in his opinion, uh, to have come here with a new engine, a complete new engine, and be this reliable. It is amazing. And Ferrari in general, from what we could see this week, looked strong. They did look strong. Now, um, not that you can take statistics and speeds at mm -hmm. face value. Everybody's testing different things in different orders and all of those different things. But Ferrari was not beating the best times that Mercedes was laying down. Well, yes and no. On one In one of the sessions, Ferrari did have a slower time than the Mercedes. However, they were on a slower tire. Right. Now, and I believe it was within the expected performance window for the tire. But overall numbers, when you were comparing tire to tire and distances and things, they were running slightly, and I do mean slightly slower than Mercedes. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean a whole lot because when you look at those same rankings, the person that came out on top was Valtteri Bottas, followed yeah. by both Ferraris and then Hamilton. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting kind of combination of what's going on up at the top ranks. But like I said, for all we know, Hamilton's running race distances with race-level fuels, and Botas is running light. Well, let's be clear. Day two of testing, Mercedes, I don't know about anybody else, but Mercedes, 
was doing race simulations already. Mm -hmm. That's not something that normally happens during the first week of testing. The first week of testing is normally reserved for shakedown tests and mechanical tests and making sure that things are working like they're expecting, uh, including we saw more um, pit stop type tests that were going on because there's been a redesign of the wheel nuts for all the teams and, right. and no specifications. So there was some getting to grips with that as well is why we saw it. But it, it, it's all around making sure that things work, not necessarily that they work to race specifications. Well, I want to remind you that last year, Mercedes was running race distances early and long. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> then Hamilton blew up six engines really fast. So don't know what happened, but just because we're seeing, seeing bulletproof reliability in testing doesn't mean that we're going to have bulletproof reliability in season. Oh, I agree. So, the, I mean, there's so many factors that play into this. Um, but there are some key statistics that people are looking for, like who lays down fastest laps per day, who's making triple digit laps. That's a big one. Well, we, we, before we, we jump to that, there is a little more about Haas. Okay. You know, Haas last year, the last half of the season suffered from a lot of brake issues. Mm -hmm. So the hope was the new car, the new design, that those would go away. Um, they're still having those problems. Okay. Uh, they're on the Brembo's. Uh, Gene Haas says that the biggest problem is inconsistency. Sometimes the drivers are happy with what they're the feel, and other times they're they're scaring the crap out of them. Mm. Um, so they're still trying to figure out what to do there and how to sort that out. Also, Williams. I was headed there. Yeah. Um, One of the triple digit lap people was Massa. Mm -hmm. He got triple digit laps. Um, back in his seat unexpectedly, you know. He was supposed to be done. He's not done. Um, but he was out to really prove that he was still in race form. So congratulations to Massa. He was doing really well. We had a bit of a problem with his teammate. Yeah. So the, the question is here, is this just rookie driver trying to come to grips with Formula One and potentially some issues with the car, um, mainly around how it's handling the tires because there, there's reports that Felipe wasn't necessarily thrilled with it. Or do we have the next Pastor Maldonado coming into the sport? Because three days of, of running at uh, Barcelona for Lance Stroll, and he ended up with an incident every single day with the last one being so bad that the team couldn't run on day four. Right. He's, he red flagged every day, raining, running into walls. Well, actually, day two, he didn't red flag. Oh. Only because when he ran off the track, and he ended up in the gravel, but when he ran off the track, it was as the checkered flag was coming out. Otherwise, he would have red flagged. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's not doing, he's not boating well. Yeah. But... You know, we're in testing. He he's new to the car, new to the to the series. So let's just cross our fingers and hope that this is he's testing and he's learning, and it's not a matter of we're going to get to Melbourne and he's going to end up in a lake. Well, that would be bad if he ends up in the lake. Um, maybe Massa will spend this weekend with him, coaching him a bit. Maybe somebody will coach him. When to break. Yeah. You have one. Use it. It's not like the video game where you just hold down the gas the whole time. Yeah. We, we cannot play this like a, a video game. Now, you know something I did notice in um, the reading of the reviews of, of testing? Mm -hmm. Speaking of video games, I didn't hear a whole lot about Mr. Verstappen. Uh, not a whole lot. I do know he went out there and he did turn around and say – um, the, the one thing I saw comment-wise was that he felt that uh, Mercedes still had the advantage, at least coming through testing. Um, and he still thinks that Mercedes is, is clearly the team to beat. Um, but beyond that, yeah, not a whole lot from him. And he wished his dad happy birthday on, on this past Saturday. Oh. Well, happy birthday, Dad. So back to you and statistics and, and numbers and stuff like that. The, 
the target for the cars this year and the whole reason for this rules package was to make the cars five seconds a lot faster. Yes. So did we do it? No. Well, yeah, we're close for some teams. For Mercedes and Ferrari, they were just over four and a half seconds faster compared mm-hmm. to their twen- to 2015 poll at Barcelona. Okay. They, they got just over four and a half seconds faster. Okay. So they got pretty close because pole laps are the, fa- the faster laps. Um, most of the other teams were actually probably two to two and a half seconds faster. Now, I do know that's unofficial because of, you know, the way these things work. But one of the laps laid down during testing was a second faster than the fastest lap ever run at uh, Barcelona. Yes. Which was Mark Webber's lap. Mm -hmm. So Webber's time was, but Webber's time holds because it's an unofficial result and yada, yada, woof, woof. Um, So... But they are showing consistently, at least a, on average across the board, a second faster consistently. Um, now, in certain times, yes, they are getting a little bit faster. Now, in terms of just overall mileage, who's mm-hmm. completed what? Uh, Mercedes still completed significantly more mileage than anybody else. Um, 22... 2,280.95 kilometers compared to Ferrari at 1745.625 and Sauber at 1233.575. Um, the lowest runner, McLaren, 656.355 kilometers, followed by Toro Rosso at 847.21 and Force India at 912.38. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they did talk a little bit about uh, Botas's reaction to the car. Mm-hmm. Apparently, unlike his fellow Finn, he is all smiles coming out of the Mercedes car. They were making a big deal that he was very happy and personable and smiling. And you know Raikkonen could have had the best day on the universe and he still would have been grumpy Raikkonen. Well, that's one of the big differences with Valtteri, though, is that there is... I mean, he he's still... Less emotional than Daniel Ricciardo, mm-hmm. but he is fairly emotional, and you see him smiling and you see him reacting, except when he's in the car. Then he is the stereotypical Iceman Finn of I am here to do my job and win and get the hell out of my way and singular focus. But out of the car, he is a bit more personable than, than Kimmy has ever been. Mm-hmm. So well, they were they were drawing parallels, you know, now that they are competing really fairly head to head. Last day of testing mm-hmm. was supposed to be wet running. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get to the controversy around that in a little bit. However, while things are said to be much better for the tires, Pirelli is already planning on new compounds for the tires compared to what they've been testing and want to have them ready by China. Okay. Yeah. While we're talking about tires, uh, so Paul Hembry talking about the tires and the current state of them and what they have put out there. As requested, they have built more durable tires. We do not have the high degradation tires that uh, we have had in years past. And as a result, Paul Hembry says that drivers can now go, quote, nonstop on the new tires. This means that the vast majority of the races, the strategy will be a one-stop strategy. And the reality is, at several tracks, if it wasn't for the fact that the rules require drivers to stop and switch compounds— a driver could complete an entire race without making a pit stop. So how does that fly in the every fan's got a belly button and thus an opinion? 
on whether or not pit stops are good or bad. Because quite frankly, I hear differing opinions on this. People don't like it when passes occur during pit stops, but people like pit stops because it does change the, the dynamic of the race and causes more passing. So if you could run the race on one set of tires and not have the pit stop variable, do fans then say, well, it's processional and not as much fun anymore? Or do you like the drama of a pit stop? Well, the the closest example I think we have to a race where a pit stop really wasn't required was, what, two years ago in, in Russia? Mm-hmm. That everyone was complaining because that, that was the peak of the high deg tires and we were seeing some races with three and four pit stops and people were complaining that that was too much and you couldn't follow the race. And then we get to Russia and we had just the one stop for everybody. And the general consensus that came out of that was, wow, that was really kind of boring. That's kind of a point. Yeah. That's why I was throwing that out there. So, I mean, and this goes back to my constant um, statement about the fact that we listen to, well, the fans want this or the fans want that. But when you lay it down on a piece of paper, it's contradictory. Mm-hmm. We want more passing. We don't want artificial results with the high deg tires, but we still want pit stops. The, the example of what we may see happen from Paul Hembry is he cites back to 2010 in, in the Italian Grand Prix, which was a one-stop race. Sebastian Vettel ran a strategy that put him, he spent 52 laps on the soft tires before switching, and and soft tires, 52 laps, switched to hards for the final lap and finished the race fourth. Mm -hmm. He thinks that we could see situations like that arising. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure. That, as a matter of fact, not only do I not think that that's going to be exciting, this is where I think you've got to take a look at NASCAR and what NASCAR has just done this year, which, by the way, the, the early reviews that I'm hearing is that it was absolutely awful and impossible to follow of breaking the races up into these three short races. They did this at Daytona this mm-hmm. so far, and it's going through the run. But the reason why they did that was this argument of – Um, NASCAR races end up with fairly dull beginning and middle sections. And it's not till that last couple of laps and that sprint toward the finish that people start jostling and fighting position when all of a sudden it matters. And that's when things start to happen. And they were trying to spread out action throughout the race. And that's why they broke it up into smaller ones. Well, if you look at the situation that they're building now in Formula One of this possibility that we could have drivers who go the vast majority of a race before swapping tires because they have to swap tires, not because there's a real need, I think you end up with the same kind of a situation. Right. I mean, that's that's the concern. But I go back to the the complaint that the high deg tires were so awful because they artificially affected the the race and didn't allow the drivers to drive flat out. Now they've pushed the artificial affecting of the race to a rule that says you have to change the tires. So is that the next thing that gets attacked and then we try to go zero stops through the race? And then drivers drive flat out for 50, 60, 70 laps on one set of tires. I mean, at what point do you not have artificial effect on the race when you have to have rules? Well, I I hate to say it, but honestly, I think the real solution to this is refueling. Think about it. You don't turn around and force the drivers to change tires. You can push hard on these tires the entire race. And it, you know... Don't worry about changing the tires. The, the, the tires can hold up to it. But how else do you turn around and limit the running and you force strategy to come into play? You turn around and you cut back on the amount of fuel that the car can carry. And make that the question. Do you push as hard as possible so that you have to come in and take fuel? Or do you back off and see if you can make it up by not refueling? 
all you can carry is X amount of fuel. And by default, that amount of fuel will either just barely get you to the race if you run at half power, or it's enough that you can push super hard, but you're going to have to stop two times. Still, it's an artificial effect on the race. And secondly, you know refueling's not going to come back because oh, it's, it's crazy not. expensive. It's crazy expensive. It's dangerous. It's hard to do. I, 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 I get that there are all those factors. But if you don't have something that breaks and forces, I mean, because otherwise, what are you going to do? Every car has to come in twice every race. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Let me go do. We're at late at lap number 15. I have to do my mandatory uh, drive through penalty. Yeah. Because that's what it becomes is it becomes yeah. a drive through penalty. So this week. We're not doing our predictions. That That's still about two weeks out before we do that. Yeah, we but have we, to write the questions. But we do have some takeaways for um, fr- from testing coming out of this week. Things. The, the first one is that Mercedes wasn't 100% perfect. There were some issues, mm-hmm. uh, mainly electronic stuff. Um, also, uh, from the folks who were watching it, they said that uh, both Valtteri and Lewis were struggling a little to get the car into the corners. So there's still some work that needs to happen, and this does not sound like the Mercedes is fully at the top and ready to go yet. There might be some weaknesses here. Ah. Chinks in the armor, as it were. Yes. Um, Gary Anderson over at, over at uh, Autosport, your, your, your buddy Gary, he says— Why is that- he my buddy, Gary? Because you, you you have a lot of respect for him. You like him. He, he's. I am not alone in this. True. He has earned your respect. Yes. Can't deny it, can you? No, okay. I can't. But he's earned yours too. Yeah. Um. Gary says <laughs> our takeaway is that Ferrari actually looks really good. Excellent. Um. He says that. Um, Sebastian Vettel's fastest time was just 0.247 seconds slower than Valtteri Bottas's pace using soft rubber rather than the quicker ultra softs that Valtteri was, was using, which is what I pointed out. But he also says that watching from trackside tells you a lot about the car. He says the Ferrari looked the best car out there. Um, from his viewpoint in turn one, he could see the drivers get the power on clearly at the exit and then tuck in, tuck the nose in for the fast turn three effortlessly. And then once there, they could get on the power and hold the line through the corner. He said, it just looks um, like it's a very good car. He says, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a Mercedes beater, but it looks very promising. Excellent. So. I'd like to see a battle. I mean, I really would like to see a battle. Um, and, and he says that given where Ferrari was last year, he wasn't expecting this much improvement to come out of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really was. Um, another thing, as we alluded to, there's all kinds of alarm bells ringing over at Honda. This is not how their test was supposed to be. This is not how the whole thing was supposed to be. But along the same lines, it's not all McLaren, or it's not all Honda's fault. There is talk that the chassis this year is not exactly up to snuff either, and that both uh, Fernando and Stoffel were both trying to well they were struggling in some of the corners and hitting the apexes and getting the car to go where they wanted it to go when they wanted it to, to go so yes the power is down but it doesn't sound like performance of the car in general is where it needs to be either oh yes um wet weather testing had a bit of controversy okay uh what happened was in order to make sure that the, the everything was wet and, and, and ready to go, overnight, the track was soaked overnight, w- w- was soaked down, was watered down, and then just before the pits opened, it was watered down again. But it wasn't mandatory for the teams to go out there. Along the same lines, it wasn't mandatory for how they tested and what they tested in the wet conditions. So some teams didn't bother to go out. Some teams didn't follow Pirelli's requested testing program (laughs) um 
really when the teams came out was as the team started or as the track started to dry and you could do the crossover to selects. Ah. And as a result of all of this, it was supposed to just be the morning test that was supposed to be wet. Um, they said, yeah, we didn't get enough running, so we're going to wet down it for the afternoon test as well. And even fewer teams went out. <laughs> so that doesn't give Pirelli the testing that they need. But the teams are going to turn around and say that the Pirelli wet weather tires suck. Right. But they're not testing. Exactly. So... Next week, what we get, more of the Melbourne specification. So we're going to see some more aerodynamic changes on the cars to, to more what we should see for race one. We should see uh, engines that are more closely power-wise to what they want to run at uh, the first race. Um, we should see more race season and race prep and race simulations done so truly we will see whether or not the cars can handle running a full race mm -hmm. and more of what we see is going to be indicative of what's going to happen and where things are going to shake out that's going to be the real test it'll be interesting but keep in mind even still they have a couple of more weeks to refine hone take the results of testing and come up with something different i have never seen a testing truly, really predict out what's going to happen on that first race. Other things happen or other factors that get involved. Um, other talk of what has gone on is the drivers are, in fact, working harder in the cars. They're, th these cars are more challenging. Maybe drivers aren't being, quote-unquote, destroyed, as has been said, and, and some of the other things. But Lewis Hamilton did come out and say that uh, there are bruises and bumps where he's not had them before. Oh. So there is additional physical challenge, and word is from the drivers that they like it. Um, Daniel Ricciardo said that the cars were a bit tougher, but it's fun. And uh, Sebastian Vettel says, you feel it, obviously, but it's back to how it was a few years ago when the cars were significantly faster. It's more enjoyable when it's faster in the corners, like we had in 2010, and I'm holding up. Nice. Um, we're still not done with the rules controversies, and Lance Stroll, that's going to be the question. Mm. I think he's going to need to have some watching and some coaching and some hand-holding we got to watch what these rules are happening to see what's going on um, with the wings, the fins, the suspensions. Both fins? Both fins. Valtteri and Kimmy? Yes, both <laughs> the fins and the shark. That, that, that joke is just not going to get old. Of course, everybody listens going, yes, it's old already. It's already old. You used it once, and it's yeah. already old. Um, yes, so all of the various fins that are involved this year. Um and it will be interesting to see what some of the internal team moves that have happened um, and how that affects team dynamics and team changes. I mean, what will James Allison bring to Mercedes? What will um, – name just lost it. Mercedes guy that went to Ferrari. Patty, oh, Patty Lowe. No, Williams. Patty didn't go to Ferrari. Williams. Well, we still haven't gotten the official word on just what the hell he's doing over there yet. And, and how he's even going to integrate with that organization. Right. But speaking Claire, of... Claire, could you write your press release already? Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, Valtteri Bottas gave some comments towards the end of the week that um, it was more of a, a culture shock shifting teams that he than he had expected. And it, this has been a bigger change. He says that now he's really starting to to feel more comfortable and, and, and adjust to being there. He said, uh, I think it was Friday morning, that that was the first time that sitting over in a hospitality unit eating breakfast uh, with the team felt normal. <laughs> the, the, the other big challenge is getting to know all the engineers and the folks in the plane. He's like, there's like 400 people here, I'm, and I'm still trying to figure out their names. So... <laughs> They need to institute the all, all – everybody wears the hello, my name is stickers. Yeah. For Valtteri. Yeah. And Val, and they need to, like, do that with their name and then something that he can help remember them by. You know, like, <laughs> hi, my name is Hans, and I have a large mustache. <laughs> this is Bob. He likes Yorkshire pudding. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he's from Glasgow, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's key to use those mnemonic devices to help yeah. remember who these people are. This is Seamus. Don't ask him what's under his kilt. <laughs> exactly. And on that note. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.